Well, two pastors went to a hockey game together. And one pastor turned to the other and said, you know, I don't really even like hockey. And the other one said, well, why do you come to the games? And he said, well, I like to be somewhere where somebody's excited about something. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) What does it look like to be excited about church? I mean, we've had over a year now where all of our rhythms of regularly showing up to church and community have been completely disrupted. I mean, to varying degrees, some of us have started to sense some normalcy, but, but really, what would it look like as we come through a pandemic to prioritize and be excited about church, to be excited about being a part of God's people? And if we're honest, way, way, way before 2020, we had already seen the effects of individualism in our culture. And by individualism, I just mean sort of the general social theory that the basic unit of society, the thing around which the world revolves, is the individual. The needs, the wants, the desires of individuals. Uh, Australian pastor Mark Sayers says that we are so ingrained with individualism that we cannot imagine any other way to live. The individual, his needs, his rights, his wants becomes the central point around which our society arranges itself. And it's not a question of if. Like Emily Hamilton said last week with consumerism, it's like the water that we swim in. It's the default mode of living in the West. But individualism teaches us that the basic starting point for understanding ourselves and the world is me. My achievements, my preferences, my dreams, my wants and desires. But my question is, does Jesus offer us a different way to live? Does Jesus offer us a different way to live in the world or do we just go along with this me-centric, me-first, individualistic way to live? And I think what we've experienced over the last year plus has in some ways reinforced what was already happening. We've become even more independent, perhaps even more isolated, even less in ongoing community with others. But I think in other ways, it has highlighted for us how much we crave relationships and how much we were created for community and how much we need others in our lives. And I think what we'll see is that before we can follow Jesus as individuals out in the world, we first need to be formed in Christian community, that that community is a gift from God to form us into the life that God has for us. And I, before I go further, I want to pause and acknowledge that for a lot of people, when you think of church, a lot of us have had experiences that have been awkward and uncomfortable and maybe even traumatic. So I'll, I'll own that, that being in Christian community has not been easy or helpful for, for many. And I, I own that the church has failed in all kinds of ways. But as we look at Scripture this morning, I think what we'll see 
is that there is no life with Jesus apart from life in Christian community. As we read this text in Colossians, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. And as we read this text together, I want you to imagine the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a group of imperfect people, broken people. Can you imagine that? He's writing to a group of imperfect people trying to get them to wrestle with what it looks like to live out together what it is God has done for them, what it is Jesus has done for them. So this is Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's stop there. Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor once wrote that when we operate from an individualistic, me-centric point of view, that there are four things that we imagine will get us the life, the dignity, the self-worth that we desire. Four things, he says. A sense of power, a sense of dominating public space, invulnerability, and self Sufficiency. Think about that list. He's, he's saying that when we imagine what it looks like to be whole and successful humans, we imagine ourselves as all-powerful and dependent upon no one. Erwin Entz, who's a pastor in Philadelphia, was, was writing about this list. And he observed that this is actually the word, these are the words we use to describe superheroes. Which makes me think of one of our family's favorite things, which is watching the Avengers movies and following all the Marvel superheroes. And what Entz points out is so revealing that when we fantasize about what it means to be superhuman, we fantasize about a world where we are dependent upon no one and everyone else is dependent upon us. But if we look at our text in Colossians today, what we see is an entirely different way to live given to the earliest Christians. Right? He calls them God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved and this phrase, God's chosen people, is actually Old Testament language in the book of Deuteronomy. Just like Paul is trying to give them words to understand what it means to live together in unity in light of what God has done for them, God in the Old Testament was trying to give his people language to understand how to live together in unity in light of what God had done for them. So in Deuteronomy 7, 6, God tells his people this. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. 
So we can read that and think like, oh, well, God's just saying like, that's my favorite child. Some of you know you're the favorite child, right? But that's not really what God's saying. Notice that they're not special because of what they've done or because of who they are. They're special because of what God does. God is the one who chooses his people. That's why they're special. See, individualism starts with you and why you're special and what you've accomplished. It's about being the strongest you, the most powerful you that you can be. But to be God's chosen people first starts with what God has accomplished, not what you've accomplished. It's about the weak learning together how powerful a life with God can be. And he goes on to describe what that life with God looks like. He tells them to clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourself. When you get dressed in the morning, even before you got dressed to come here, you normally have something in mind. Like there's a look that you're going for that you believe is appropriate for the space that you're going to or the activity that you are going to. What you wear communicates something. For some of you, it might communicate that you now work from home. But when you get dressed, you know that people are going to think something about what you look like, about what you're wearing. How do we get dressed to follow Jesus? The image the text uses of, is of putting on clothes. How do we clothe ourselves in Christ? Here's what he says you need to put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see, to put those things on is not to look powerful and invulnerable. To put those things on is to look dependent and vulnerable and weak and relying upon others. So the thing is, when I look at this text, I realize I cannot do those things by myself. I cannot be compassionate and kind by myself. I have to practice that with other people. I have to practice compassion and kindness and humility and patience with others. I cannot practice those on my own and I cannot grow in them unless I practice them and therefore I need others to live out my faith with. Verse 13 continues. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive. See, this isn't a command for perfect people living in perfect harmony. Superheroes don't need to say, I'm sorry. Like, this is a command for broken people living together in response to what Jesus has done for us. And the Greek word for forgiveness is more accurately translated as to be gracious towards. 
forgiveness be gracious towards. You see, it's not just the idea that when someone does something wrong, they need to ask for forgiveness or you need to forgive them. It is for broken people like us to live together in unity will require us to constantly be gracious towards each other, realizing that we will make mistakes and that we will need forgiveness and that the only way to put on display in our midst and for the world to see what Christ has done for us is to live that out towards each other in Christian community. And this is a command that's easy to say and hard to live out. In fact, I know I need to be told to practice forgiveness with others myself. Because I don't know about you, but when I make a mistake, my temptation is to run. My temptation is to hide. My temptation is to ignore it for so long that I finally convince myself it wasn't even my fault in the first place. So I need to be reminded that I cannot experience the relief and the joy of forgiveness on my own. I need to grow in graciousness towards others and for others to be gracious towards me. In Christian community, we practice the forgiveness of Jesus together. It is the place where the love of Christ is formed in us. In the list from earlier of Charles Taylor's virtues of individualism, what we saw was that often the search for a good life is about power and dominance and invulnerability and independence. But if you made a list from Paul's encouragement to the church about what it looks like to be formed in the way of Jesus, it would look more like this, weakness and dependence and forgiveness, and vulnerability. That those are the virtues of the church. And we cannot live that way alone. We can only live that way together with others. You see, when individualism is the starting point for our relationship with Jesus, our Christian life really just becomes an exercise in self-improvement. We want Jesus to make us more powerful, in better control, more successful, healthier, more productive. And it's not just bad for us, it's bad for a Christian community. Pastor and Professor Dwayne Elmer says that whenever individualism reigns supreme, community is easily sacrificed for personal preferences. Too quickly, we splinter churches, friendships, families, and groups rather than struggle for ways to bridge differences, reconnect, forgive, reconcile, and heal. Individualism fosters an impatience with people and institutions. We can always join another church, find new friends, or get another job. Wow. When we start from a place that's me-centric, we will always avoid the very thing that we need that forms us into God's people so that the moment that it gets uncomfortable, uncomfortable, 
or fails to meet our expectations or just isn't working for us anymore, we don't bail. Church is not a tool for personal fulfillment. It is a community where God's promises to the world are fulfilled in Christ. Christian community is where a group of sinners redeemed by the cross of Christ are invited to participate in what God wants to do in our lives and in the world. He wants us to experience together what he wants for all of humanity. And in verse 14, it says, Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. He says that love is the glue that holds us together and defines us. Love for each other, love for those who are not like us, love for those whom we disagree with. Christian community means putting in the time and the hard work that love requires. You cannot practice or receive love by yourself. You cannot practice or receive love by yourself. Pastor Eugene Peterson said, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from immersion and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. Community, not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture, is the setting in which Christ is at play. He's saying that Christian community is meant to be the place where the love of Jesus is most fully on display and most appropriately practiced. That is the place where God reigns in our lives and his love is on display. Community is a gift from God to form us into the life that Christ has for us. The church is where we receive the love of Jesus. It's where we are encouraged. It's where we are challenged and called out. It's where faith is modeled for us. You cannot experience those things on your own. You cannot experience them through a podcast. You can only experience Jesus amongst his people. And when you try to follow Jesus without Christian community, you're missing something. And you should know that the church is missing you. I have a simple challenge for you. I would love for you to try to name the people in your life. You can do it. You can write it down. You can do it in your head. You can go back and do it later. But name the people in your life who encourage you as you try to follow Jesus. Who is spurring you on? Who is encouraging you in your faith? Name the people who challenge you. Who is willing to call you out? Who knows you? at such a level that when you go astray, when you're being disobedient, who is willing to speak truth to you? Who will challenge you and confront you and call you out when you're not living like Jesus? And then who models for you? 
Who models Christian behavior? Who models for you what it means to follow Jesus in the world? Could you name those people? If somebody asked you right now, could you name those people? Because we could argue all day about what church or Christian community should look like, how formal and informal, how big, how small, whatever. But at the end of the day, we all need people who are pouring into us and whom we are pouring into, right? If we're going to practice and receive the love of Christ, it cannot be on our own. It has to be with others. If individualism teaches us that the starting point for understanding ourselves is us, is me. The gospel teaches us that the starting point for understanding ourselves is we, us, Christian community, in light of what Christ has done for us, that this is the space that the Holy Spirit uses to encourage us and challenge us and grow us and spur us on as we seek the life that Christ has for us. On Friday, I saw an article on the Atlantic's website. The headline was, Two Competing Impulses Will Drive Post-Pandemic Social Life. The first is that some people will want to go out as often as they can. Some of you might feel that way. The second is that others won't be able to forget how nice it is to sit at home on the couch. Some of you feel that way too. We will be challenged over the weeks and months ahead to prioritize and be excited about Christian community. What I want you to know and to see is that Scripture says to live out our faith requires us to do that not on our own, but amidst people. We are not saved by community. We are saved by the grace of Jesus. But that is fleshed out in our lives in the midst of others, other broken people trying to wrestle with what it looks like together, who get to remind ourselves and hold up in front of each other, here's what Christ looks like. Here's what Christ calls us to. We get to come and to take from the table like this. And what I want you to see is that just as the grace of God is as real as this bread and this juice, the grace of God is as real as the person sitting beside you as those whom he will make his love and his forgiveness and his compassion and his mercy known in their lives and in yours. He calls into community for a purpose because that's where he wants to meet us and change our lives. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, we come before you now asking that you would meet us, that you would meet us in this meal, that you would meet us at the table And that as we taste and as we take of the cup and of the bread, that your grace would be made real to us. God, help us to search our hearts, to know what we need to lay at your feet, to know where we need to give our lives over to you, to lay it all down, and to trust that you are far more capable of providing for us than we could ever be for ourselves. God, reckon with our souls and do in our lives what only you can. We love you and praise you. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.